The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. If you haven't already, I do invite you to open to Acts chapter 13. Um, I remember one of the first mistakes I made after I got married. I decided to give my wife a surprise vacation. And you're probably wondering... How could that possibly be a mistake? That sounds like a great thing to do. Like, how could anybody screw that up? Just just allow younger Jonathan to show you how one can screw that up. Did I surprise my wife by telling her a few days beforehand, surprise, we're going to the beach? Oh, no. Did I even say something the day before? No, I waited until we were in the car too far down the road to even possibly turn back to say, surprise, beach trip. You're probably thinking, Jonathan, if you did it that way, how would she have even had time to pack? Oh, I thought of that. I got her mother to pack for her. I know. I'm in the future also. (laughs) Which is a line I completely ripped from a comedian. Needless to say, I learned that day that Holly Hafes is the kind of woman who enjoys a surprise with a little bit of advance notice where she can be more involved in the planning process. I also learned that she enjoys surprise beat trips more when they're not in January. But that's another story. So... Shades Valley, over, over the past several weeks, we've been exploring the future of mission at Shades, namely church planting. And as we've begun this conversation, I want to assure you this is not a surprise beach trip situation. Okay, the elders and I are not going, surprise! Like, we're church planting, and we've already made a plan For some of you, we've already packed your bags and are ready to send you out to be a part of the plant. Yay! Like, that's not what's happening at all. Two weeks ago, I told you, I I don't know if church planting is 10 months in our future or 10 years in our future. And I I mean that. I told you last week, and I'll say it again just because I want it to be clear, like this series is not an invitation for you to be involved in a plan that our leadership has already made. No, it's an invitation for you to be involved in praying and dreaming about what it could look like. What it could look like to to join God in the mission of spreading his gospel through church planting. The whole goal of this series is simply to lay a biblical foundation for church planning. We're going to have to pray together. We're going to have to dream together about what it looks like to build on that foundation. But our goal has just been to lay the foundation. And so, this morning, the final portion of this series, let's try to lay the final portion of that, that foundation. So thus far... We've seen why. We've been asking questions, right? Why? Where? How? So thus far, we've seen why church planting is the future of mission at Shades. Last week, we looked at where Scripture instructs us to pursue this mission. 
And so that leaves us one more question, and that is how? Like, how are we going to pursue this mission of church planting? And when I ask that question, I'm not saying, like, how in detailed steps. I just told you, we don't have that. We haven't made that plan yet. I'm talking big picture. What does Scripture show us about how we should go about pursuing the mission of of church planting? What's the next step that we take as, as a body? And I think for us to answer this question of how, I think that the book of Acts answers this question by providing us with a pattern. I think there are three pieces to this pattern. A threefold pattern that I think is scattered all throughout the book of Acts that we see repeatedly over and over again. I think we see this pattern, these three things, showing up again and again all throughout the New Testament. I want to try and identify them, show them to you simply in Acts chapter 13 and 14. So, that's the plan. That's where we're going. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Let's look at it together in order to begin answering the question, how do we pursue the mission of church planting? Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Saul is also known as Paul. Saul is his Jewish, the Jewish version of his name. Paul is the Greek version of his name. He doesn't change his name midway through his life. Two names. And I'm going to mess up and call him Paul throughout this thing. So just so you know, Paul, Saul, same person. Verse 2, while they were worshiping, while this church was worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, right here in Acts chapter 13, we get this picture of the church at Antioch. Antioch is a massive metropolitan city, third largest in the Roman Empire behind Rome itself and Alexandria, Egypt. It's, it's north of Israel and what was Syria, modern-day Turkey now. And if you remember, this church itself was actually planted by Christians from Jerusalem. If you go back to Acts chapter 11, which we saw a few weeks ago, if you go back, Christians are scattered out from Jerusalem due to persecution, and some of them end up in Antioch where they plant a church. And God begins to do amazing things among this church at Antioch. It's one of the first places that not just Jews are becoming Christians, but Gentiles are as well. It's a metropolitan church with a multi-ethnic, it's a metropolitan city with a multi-ethnic church. God's doing amazing. This is the first place where people outside the church look at these people and say they're Christians. It's where the name comes from. They say those are Christ people. And God is about to continue his movement among these people by moving outward. What's going on within their church is going to to spread. And it's going to spread through church planting. The church at Antioch is going to become a missionary sending church. These missionaries are being sent out specifically on a church planting mission. And so right here, I think we get a picture of how church planting, the mission of church planting, how it begins. And it begins with prayer. You see that? I believe this is the first piece of the pattern that's all over the place in Acts. First thing, church plants begin with prayer aimed at spirit empowerment. This is the first of three pieces. Church plants begin with prayer aimed at spirit 
empowerment? Is that not what we see right here in chapter 13, rather explicitly? Like it's while the church is engaged in worship and fasting, two activities that both involve prayer. So they're engaged in worship, they're engaged in fasting, they're engaged in prayer. And it's while all of that is happening that the Spirit tells them, set apart Barnabas and Saul, I've got work for them. And even after the Spirit has said that to them, what do they do in verse 3? They pray and they fast again. They pray, they fast, they lay their hands on Paul and, and Barnabas. That's a sign specifically that they are praying for Holy Spirit empowerment for this mission. All throughout the New Testament, when people lay their hands on one another in order to pray for them, they are praying specifically for spirit empowerment for whatever task lies ahead. This is how we see the church planting mission begin in the church at at Antioch. It begins with prayer aimed at spirit empowerment. Antioch knows that this mission has been given to them by God, and therefore it can only be carried out in the power of God, and so they pray. Prayer prayer is the posture of dependence. It's the posture of, I I need you. We depend upon you. So they pray, and the result is Paul and Barnabas are sent out in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see that right at the beginning of verse 4. Verse 4, so being sent out by God, the Holy Spirit. This church planting mission begins with prayer aimed at spirit empowerment. As I said, you can see this pattern all throughout Acts. You can see it if you look at Acts chapter 2, right at the beginning of the chapter, or at the end of the chapter, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. We get a window into the early church and how it normally operated. And it tells us they devoted themselves to prayer. And it's out of devoting themselves to prayer that flows spirit-empowered mission. The Lord adds to their number day by day. You can see this again in Acts chapter 3. You can see it in chapter 4, in chapter 6, 8, 9, 10, 11. I encourage you, go home and read Acts 1 through 13, and you'll see this pattern over and over and over again. And not just the pattern of praying for spirit empowerment, but everything else we're going to see as well. This is the pattern of how... Church planting begins with prayer aimed at spirit empowerment. And so, Shades, this is how we must begin. Like if church planting is the future of mission at Shades, then it's got to begin with prayer aimed at spirit empowerment. And here's the deal. That may seem so simple. Like sure, Jonathan, of course, yeah. Obviously we have to begin with prayer. But here's the problem when we think about it like that. We tend to skip what we think is simple. And skipping prayer actually reveals our prideful self-reliance. I don't need to pray. I don't need to ask for God. I can do this on my own. I can do this in my own power. Skipping over prayer actually reveals prideful self-reliance, the very thing that prayer is meant to put to death. Prayer's that posture of reliance. It puts to death self-reliance and brings to life reliance on God. Through prayer, we're aimed at relying on the Spirit's power, not our own. That's what we need because this church planting mission is only possible by the Spirit's power. All of the Christian life is only possible by the Spirit's power. That's why I pray every week before I preach. 
Because I can't do this apart from the Spirit of God. Sure, I can stand up here and I can say things. I can spout words at you. But for the Spirit of God to wield the proclaimed word to open people's eyes, to change people's hearts, to bring spiritually dead people to life, that can only be done in His power. I can't do that in my power. I can't pursue a life of holiness in my power. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells me that I'm transformed from one degree of glory to another, and this is by the Lord who is the Spirit. That transformation must take place by the Holy Spirit's power. I can't serve you. You can't serve one another in your own power. Sure, you can do things where you serve one another in your own power, but when you do that, who gets credit for your serving? You do. Who gets the glory for your serving? You do. We must serve in dependence upon the power that God provides in order for him to be glorified. That's 1 Peter 4.11. Let the one who serves serve in the power that God provides so that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. Like all of the Christian life must be done in dependence upon the Spirit's power if God is to be glorified. And that's the call upon every area of our life. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This church planting mission, like the rest of the Christian life, is not even possible apart from the Spirit's power. Sure, we might plant a church. But no matter how successful it looks from the outside, it will ultimately be a failure of the flesh if it's done in the flesh's power. Romans chapter 8 tells us that those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It doesn't matter what you do. This church planting mission is only possible by this power that the Spirit provides. I remember one of the uh, most embarrassing moments I had while Holly and I were dating. Um, I... I was driving to work one morning and my car ran out of gas. Y'all do know there's like, a, there's like a gauge in your vehicle dedicated to preventing this situation. There's a light that comes on for those who ignore the gauge. Like, hello, idiot, car will quit working if you don't pay for gas. I ignored both of these things because I can make it to where I'm going. So I find myself abandoned on the side of the road. All of my friends are either at work or in class. Who could possibly bring some gas to me on the side of the road? And then it hits me. There is someone I could call. And so I humble myself and I call my future mother-in-law, who apparently is featuring quite highly in the sermon today. I call Rebecca. Rebecca laughs, graciously brings me gasoline. I'm able to get to where I'm going. The really embarrassing part is that the exact same thing happened the next week. <laughs> and she still let me marry her daughter, people. Like, I can't keep a car going. What made her think I could keep a marriage going? can't, to be honest with you, what's kept mine and Holly's marriage going over 15 years is prayer aimed at spirit empowerment. And that may be a silly example, but just as true as it is that a car can't go without gas, it is more true that we cannot pursue this mission of church planting without the spirit empowerment. It's, it's 
necessary. And we, we pursue the Spirit's empowerment through prayer. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest theologians to ever live, in my personal opinion, the pastor that I grew up under, he would say, in my personal, in my humble but accurate opinion, which I highly respect, Jonathan Edwards said this, he said, It is God's will through his wonderful grace that the prayers of his saints should be one of the greatest principal means of carrying out the designs of Christ's kingdom in the world. In other words, God has graciously involved us in what he does through our prayers. He continues, he says, When God has something very great to accomplish for his church, it is his will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of his people. When God has something very great to accomplish through his church, it is his will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayers of his people. Shades, if we believe that church planting is the future of our mission, then I believe that the book of Acts shows us it must be preceded by extraordinary prayer. How are we going to pursue church planting? First and foremost, through prayer aimed at spirit empowerment. Secondly, second piece of this pattern, church plants grow through proclamation accompanied by demonstration. Church plants grow through proclamation accompanied by demonstration. Look at the very next verse in Acts chapter 13, verse 5. It says, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed. They proclaimed the word of God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. This is the pattern throughout the entire book of Acts. Prayer is followed by proclamation of the gospel. We, we call people to trust in Christ. We proclaim the gospel that we were created to to find all of our joy in God. We were created for him and we rejected him. And as a result, all we deserve from him is rejection in return. But he has reconciled us by providing a savior. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life we could not live, die the death that we deserved and rise to give us new life in him. And through faith in him, eternal life and God himself are ours. Now and for, it's the gospel. It's the good news and it's what follows on the heels of, of prayer. We proclaim the gospel. We call out people to trust in Jesus. We, we are not interested in planting new churches simply by relocating current believers in Jesus. We want to see new people come to Christ. And for that, they've got to hear the gospel of Christ. There must be proclamation. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how they're to believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? We pray for spirit empowerment so that he'll send us. And he sends us out in power to do what? Proclaim. Is that not the flow of things in Acts 13? Prayer for spirit empowerment. He empowers. He sends them out. He empowered them to do what? To proclaim. To point people to Christ. And here's the deal, Shades. I'm emphasizing proclamation because many Christians buy into the idea 
that it's actually possible to share the gospel without proclamation. There's even a really famous catchy phrase that often gets attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. We have no evidence that he actually ever said this, but it's preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. There's just, like, like I understand the sentiment of that sentence. There's just one problem. It's always necessary to use words to preach the gospel. Gospel. The word means good news. You convey news with words. Preach. That's it's the Greek word keruso. It means to herald. To proclaim. It's the same word that was used of a town crier. Who would come in spreading news. Hear ye, hear ye. Here's the news from the, here's the royal edict from the king. It's the same thing we do. You can't preach. You can't declare news without words. Saying that it's possible to proclaim the gospel without words is like saying it's possible to type without a keyboard. It's possible to have barbecue without meat. It's possible to sing a duet by yourself. Like, like you are eliminating, taking away the very thing that makes the mission possible. If we want to see people called out into new communities, new churches, they must be called out. Somebody's got to call. Church plants grow through proclamation. However, that proclamation is never alone. It is accompanied by demonstration. I said that at the beginning as I gave you this second piece of the pattern. Church plants grow through proclamation accompanied by demonstration. In other words, like I said, I, I understand the sentiment behind the saying, preach at all times and when to preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Like that saying, what it's trying to get at, it's trying to, to emphasize that we need to live a life that puts the reality of the gospel on display. We, we need to live a life that demonstrates the gospel's true. In other words, we can't say one thing and live another thing. We need to not just proclaim the gospel, but demonstrate its reality. And, and all throughout Acts, we see that pattern happening. Proclamation accompanied by demonstration. A declaration of gospel truth and a demonstration of gospel power or gospel love or gospel mercy. There, there are words... The, the, the words of the disciples, of the apostles, of those proclaiming the gospel, their words are backed up by their, their lives. We see this immediately in Acts chapter 13. So in verse 5, we read that they proclaimed the gospel. Now we see gospel truth demonstrated. Look at verses 6 through verse 11. It says, When they, Paul and Barnabas, had gone through the whole island of Paphos, and they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus, and he was with the proconsul uh, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, same guy as Bar-Jesus, that's the meaning of his name, he opposed them, 
seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, Spirit empowerment, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil. Yeah, I love how subtle Paul is. <laughs> and just kind of, we're going to ease into this. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord's upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking to lead him by, someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So here's my question. Why did the proconsul believe? Was it because of the proclamation or because of the demonstration? The answer is yes. That's what verse 12 says. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, demonstration of gospel power, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He heard the truth. And then he saw its reality displayed in the lives of those who proclaimed it. Gospel proclamation supported by demonstration. This is the pattern throughout the entire book of Acts. After praying for spirit empowerment again and again, we see spirit-empowered proclamation accompanied by demonstration. Sometimes it's a demonstration of power. Sometimes it's a demonstration of gospel love and mercy. Sometimes it's a demonstration of loving Christ to death. But it's always supporting the mission of gospel proclamation. This is how... Church plants grow. People are, are called out to be a part of a called out community, a church. They're called out through proclamation accompanied by demonstration. Shades. If church planting is the future of our mission, this is how it will take place. Like we've got to pray for spirit empowerment, but empowerment to do what? Proclaim the gospel. To live lives that demonstrate the truth of what we proclaim. We, we will pray to be empowered to call out people to form a new called out community. A new church. Us pursuing church planning is not us desiring to, to simply relocate people who are already Christians from other churches to a new one. Like the goal is not for us to commission out some of our people who will then go take a couple of people from that church over there, a couple of people from that church over there, build up this new thing, and voila, we've planted a church. That's not church planting. That's church repotting. Like, seriously. We, if we commission some people out from our body, it is for them, alongside of us, to plant the seed of the gospel in new soil. Yes, there may be a core group 
But around that core group, we want to see seeds of the gospel planted in new soil. We want to see new life spring up, a new plant, a new church. This is only possible through proclamation accompanied by demonstration. And that's what we're being, that's what we're praying to be empowered to do. Church plants begin with prayer aimed at spirit empowerment, and church plants grow through proclamation accompanied by demonstration. And finally, third piece of this pattern. Church plants are established with great variation amidst great opposition. Church plants are established with great variation amidst great opposition. What do I mean by that first part? Church plants are established with great variation. What I mean is simply this. If you read through Acts, you're going to notice very quickly that there's not one blueprint to be followed for how to establish a new church. Like we've seen one methodology, if you will, here in Acts chapter 13 and 14. We see Paul and Barnabas continuing to travel. They're commissioned out by a local church, and they travel from city to city. They go into the synagogue, and they preach the gospel. And as they form a new community, they disciple them, and they put new leadership, native leadership, in place and plant them. And then they leave, and they move on. This is their pattern. We read about it at the very end of Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. It says, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They go to a city, call out a new people, raise up leadership, let them go. That's their pattern. But all you have to do is read the rest of Acts, read throughout the New Testament, and you'll see that with Paul himself, this is not how he always did things. Sometimes he stuck around for a while. I think he was in Ephesus for two to three years. Sometimes he leaves one of the people traveling with him behind to, to serve as leadership in a newer church. This is what he did with Timothy ultimately in Ephesus, what he did with Titus on the island of Crete. There are other times where, where he does what we see him doing here. Sometimes we see Paul sent out and supported by one church, like here in Acts 13, sent out supported by the church at Antioch. Other times we see him supported by a network of churches. Philippi is getting in on the action. Romans is helping to support him. The church in Rome is helping to support him as well. So sometimes supported by one church, sometimes a network of churches. And here's the deal. like This picture of variety and how new churches are established, like it gets even greater if we zoom out beyond the Apostle Paul. Like if we zoom out and we look at other people within the book of Acts who are involved in church planting, in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 11, we see lay people, just members of the congregation, planting churches. Not people in positions of leadership, just people in the congregation. Uh, we even see uh, throughout the New Testament, we see one particularly interesting couple that seems to be a model for church planting is this couple named Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla and Aquila, they first show up for us in the book of Acts. Paul meets them in the city of Corinth. They're apparently already Christians. So they're there in Corinth, but we hear about them throughout other places in the New Testament. Uh, listen to what Paul writes when he writes to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 19. He is in Ephesus writing to Corinth. And this is what he says. He says, Aquila and Priscilla together with the church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. He met them in Corinth, but now they're in Ephesus with a church in their house. Roughly two years later, Paul writes the letter to the Romans. 
Check out what he says in Romans chapter 16 and verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. They're in Rome now. Why are they in Rome? Verse 5. Greet also the church in their house. Look, we have this couple that shows up in Corinth helping a church plant there. Then they show up in Ephesus helping a church plant there in their house. Then they show up in Rome helping a church plant there in their house. It appears that there's this pattern of this couple moving from city to city to get churches off the ground. There's great variety within the New Testament as to how these churches are planted and, and established. Lay people plant churches. Missionary teams plant churches. Churches plant churches. Church networks plant churches. There's great variation in the way that church plants are established. And I want us to see that, Shades, because I want us to know that as we pursue this mission of church planting, there can be great variation in the way that we go about this mission. There are probably a million questions spinning through your head as we've been going through this series about what this looks like, what it could look like, what it should look like. Should, should we send out a team with a church planner? Should we partner with other churches? Should we network uh, with the EFCA, the Evangelical Free Church of America? That's, that's the denomination that we are a part of. That, our denomination has itself communicated that they believe the future of our mission as a denomination is church planting. And they have all sorts of resources that are willing to offer local churches to help with this kind of thing. Right? It was not a year and a half, two years ago, that Brad, myself, and Ed sat in Austin, Texas uh, at our national conference hearing our president, uh, Kevin Compellian, challenge local church leaders that the church planting is what the future of mission looks like for the EFCA. Should we partner together, network with the EFCA in this? Does, do we wait for God to raise up a church planner from within shades? Do we look outside of shades? for a, a church planter. The questions and the possibilities are, are endless. Some of you have already in this series begun to talk with me about the ways that God is at work in your life and what he's calling you to do and how it might align with some of the things we've been talking about. The, the possibilities here seem endless and what I want to say this morning is that's okay. And that's the way it should be. There is so much room for us, Shades, to pray together, dream together about what this will look like. Because even in Scripture we see church plants are established with great variation and amidst great opposition. This is where we need to end this series. They're established with great variation and amidst great opposition. We need to end here because what I want to say is that it doesn't matter what methodology we ultimately choose, what method is employed to plant a church, there is always opposition. It's kind of this myth that we buy into that if we can just do the right research, find the right statistics, get the right church planter, get the right group of people together, find the right area, then this thing will be a smash hit. It's not what we see as a pattern throughout the book of Acts. The spread of the gospel, church plants are always opposed. In chapters 13 and 14 alone, where we have been this morning, 
Just in these two chapters, we read about the following situations that Paul and Barnabas go through. We already read chapter 13, verses 6 through 11, where they are opposed by a false prophet. In verse 45 in chapter 13, we read that they're reviled by detractors. In verse 50, the wealthy in a city stir up persecution against them and drive them out of the district. By the time you get to chapter 14 and verse 2, people oppose Paul and Barnabas by trying to poison the minds of those that are listening to them. In verse 5, people mistreat them and try to stone them. In verse 19, they actually succeed in stoning Paul and dragging him outside the city of Lystra to leave him for dead. Does any of this stop them? Like, uh, this church planting thing is not going so well. Perhaps we've made a slight miscalculation that's resulted in me getting hit with rocks in the face. Perhaps we're not in God's will or doing what he wants. Does any of this stop them? No. As a matter of fact, while he's lying left for dead outside of Lystra, Paul comes to, gets up, and goes back in the city because he's got more work to be done. In fact, Paul and Barnabas, at the end of this trip, they would revisit every single one of these cities where they've already experienced opposition and know that they're going to experience more. They would revisit all of these cities because Paul knew that church plants are established amidst great opposition. And shades, we should anticipate the same thing. Like no matter what methodology we ultimately choose, no matter what the way forward looks like, I know this. If we are following Jesus, we will experience opposition. That's just 2 Timothy 3.12. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And, and Shades, I, I want us to know this because when we begin to pursue this path, when, when we start down this path and the opposition comes, I don't want you to fear that we've made a mistake. When things get hard and the going gets tough, when this calls for sacrifice, I don't want you to fear that we have made a mistake. Well, things aren't going as planned. It's not going very smoothly. This really is hard, so it must not be what God wants. That's not how we determine if we're doing what God wants. We determine if we are doing what God wants by this word. And two weeks ago, we began this series by looking into this word and seeing that church planting aligns us with the very heart of God. It aligns us with the plan of the Father, the purpose of the Son, and the power of the Spirit. It aligns us with the heart of God. And so we go with his heart, even when that leads us into opposition. Even when it takes us to a cross shades let's follow the heart of jesus which means denying ourselves and taking up our cross Amen. let's let's follow his heart to call out his people and form them into communities of called out people let's plant churches how let's begin with prayer aimed at spirit empowerment May he empower us to see a new church grow through proclamation accompanied by demonstration. And, and no matter what variation of actually establishing the plant we choose, let, let us choose it out of love for Christ 
and out of love for his people, knowing that that choice, no matter what it is, it's going to be opposed by the enemy. But I've got gospel good news. We tremble not for him. As the old hymn would say, we tremble not for him. Even though the enemy opposes us, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. And the word is Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Like, bring it, Satan. I've got a lion who, when he roars, he makes you sound like a mouse. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Shades, this is how we pursue this mission of church planting. Amen. And amen.